you know, uh, with, with what we're going to talk about this morning and, and the emphasis that there's been in the worship on the, the power of Jesus, the power of the name of Jesus, it, it strikes me that uh, whatever I'm talking about this morning, and you'll find out, and it could seem sort of distant theory, and I don't want that to happen, but whatever I'm talking about this morning, whatever aspect uh, of, of ministry that we uh, are looking at, we all need the power of Jesus. It's, it's one thing to say, in theory, these things are fine. It's another thing to live them out. And whatever your ministry, whatever your place in the body of Christ this morning, and we're all important to Jesus, whatever, whatever our ministry, we need the power of the Spirit. Otherwise, it's just theory. It is. It's just theory. And we turn up and we go through the motions and there's no dynamic behind it. We need uh, God to do something. And I'm very conscious of that as we come uh, to this particular subject. We're looking at Christ's church, of course, Christ's values. And today's topic is Christ's gifts from Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. And uh, I'll plunge straight in, read the passage, and you'll see what we're talking about this morning. Paul says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why he says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he who also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back to and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Just a little note there, the, the presentation is making a slight difference to my slides, but never mind, because it's dropping off the end a little bit. We'll see how we get on. Okay. So, it's Christ's church, it's Christ's values. Now, 
uh, in the family of churches to which we, we belong in, in relational mission and in the wider family of new frontiers of which uh, relational mission is a part, uh, then this is the value that relates to this passage of Scripture. All Ephesians 4.11 gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, are valid today to help bring churches to maturity and to equip men and women to fulfill their God-given ministry. Eldership teams are encouraged to invite Ephesians 4 ministries to help bring their local churches to maturity. I've highlighted this next sentence in red because it is important for us to get hold of this, that local elders are the final human governing body in a local church. There is no one outside of us who comes to us with that sort of uh, institutional authority and says, you must. There isn't that relationship. Rather, we are in relationship and friendship. So, local elders, leaders are encouraged to invite and then receive clear apostolic input and authority. I think that last sentence is slightly ambiguous, but I haven't got time to go into that. Okay, that's the value. And it's a value that needs the power of the Spirit, as we've been saying. Just a little recap, back to 1 Corinthians 12. And these are, the, these are the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. And in the, the 60s, 70s, some of us fought, when I say fought, I mean that in, in a sense of reasoning, arguing, discussing, whatever, whatever. Some of us went a long way to, to change the church's thinking on this. Because when I became a Christian, it was said these gifts had died out. But does the Spirit want to give them today? The answer is yes. And we've had a little bit of evidence of that this morning with prophetic word. Okay, should we desire them? The answer is yes, because Paul says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. That's what he says to us. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Every single one of us should desire spiritual gifts. No let out. And what's the reality? Many of us believe this, but we never receive them or use them. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about just us here, but the church in general, the battle's been won. And loads and loads and loads of evangelicals believe in spiritual gifts, but never see them. That's true. Now, that's what I say about that. Let's apply it to apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Ask similar questions. Does Jesus want all these ministries to be seen or to be in his church today? And I believe the answer is yes. Now, I could take a lot of time <laughs> sort of going into that and dealing with some objections, but I believe, and I, that's where I'm going to leave it, I believe the answer is 
Yes. You might be saying, what's all this got to do with me? Hang on. The answer is yes. Next question. So then, asking a very, very similar question, should we expect to see all these ministries in church today? And the answer is yes. But what's the reality? We see some more than others. Talking about us locally. You say, well, yeah, pastor, teacher, evangelist, hmm, prophet, apostle. Hmm. <laughs> okay. So let's look at Christ's gifts. The giver is Jesus. You notice, I think that's important. I went on the internet, as you do, and there were whole loads and loads of sites dealing with spiritual gifts and, and different lists were lumped together as if they were completely the same. I don't believe that. Paul wrote, deliberately inspired by the Spirit, that Jesus gives these gifts. I believe that's important. And there's a lot of sloppy comparison goes on about the gifts. What are these gifts? They're people. They're people. He says he gives apostles, prophets. He doesn't say apostleship or prophecy. The gifts here are people with ministries that Jesus gives to the church. Right. The purpose. Why does Jesus give them? He gives them to equip God's people, or as some translations say, to equip the saints, or let us be personal, he gives them to the church, he gives them to the local church to equip us so that we might function in ministry. God doesn't give these ministries to do the work for us, but to help us to fulfil our ministry, our task to pursue our vision. That's why they're given, to equip the saints, God's people, for the works of ministry. And what's the aim? The aim is that the church becomes mature. Actually, this is one reason why I believe all these gifts still exist, because I don't believe the church has reached maturity, and we still need them. What does it mean to become mature? It means to become united. It means to become together in love. Actually, it means much more than that. It need, means to become, literally in the Greek, the mature man. Who is the mature man? The mature man is Jesus himself. What is God's purpose for the church 
universal, worldwide, what is God's purpose for the church local? What is God's purpose for here, for us, is this, that we together become like Jesus. And that we together exercise the ministry of Jesus out there in our community and world. What a vision. We've rejoiced, haven't we, in, the, in, in, a, in a fantastic, wonderful healing that has been seen. We are rejoicing in people receiving healing now. Isn't that great? That's wonderful. That's Jesus. But there's more. There must be more than this. <laughs> We've just sung it. If you don't believe it, why did you sing it? <laughs> and if you've sung it, believe it, folks, that there is more than this. And that's why God give, gives these things, why Jesus gives these ministries, so that we become like Jesus himself. Wow. A couple of little uh, technical bits. Two questions. Are there four or five people involved here? The Greek literally puts it this way, and actually I think this is probably the better, best of the translations. He gives the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Does that mean there are four or five? I remember uh, asking a very well-known person, in an RM conference, a question about the fivefold ministry. <laughs> and immediately the rejoinder was, were there only four? And it went on the internet, and my family heard it. <laughs> Actually, what I think is this that pastors and teachers have overlapping ministries. I'll come back to that in a bit. I'll just hold that. Whether there are four or five people involved, there certainly are five ministries. And are they local or are they wider? Well, the answer is a mixture. And some are more local than others. But all have reference to the local church and all, I believe, in pastors and teachers could go wider. But that's a bit technical. Forget it. If you don't want it, forget it. Here we go. Let's have a look at the five. Even if they're four. Or the four. Even if they're five. You understand what I mean. I think you do. Do you understand? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Not to worry. Not to worry. Here we go. The teacher. A teacher is one who instructs. Yep. And by his teaching causes others to learn. His other, others to learn. Teaching involves exposition, taking the scriptures and expounding what those scriptures mean. It involves explanation, which is what I'm trying to do now. <laughs> it involves application. How does this wonderful truth, which we now begin to understand, apply here? 
and it involves instruction. How do we then put that into to place? So I put the word doctrine, but truth, whatever. And people, you, me, and churches receive the teaching, understand the teaching. I hope you. <laughs> hope you are understanding just a little bit if not come and see me afterwards (laughs) understand the teaching apply the teaching well that's up to us as collectively and individually and obey the teaching that's what we do but we'll come back I did that too quickly but the final authority Hear this, folks, is the word of God. Check it out. Don't just accept it because somebody at the front says it. Whoever that is, check it out. If you've got questions, go back to the scriptures yourself and see if these things are so. That's what the Bereans did when they heard what Paul was teaching. That's what they did. The final authority is always the word of God, never a person. Neither neither in this context or on the internet or anywhere. Our final authority is the word of God. And let's discuss from the word of God. Right, that's the teacher. But who is the greatest teacher of all? The greatest teacher of all was, is Jesus. And so Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know, we know you're a teacher sent from God because of all the wonderful works that you're doing. He came to Jesus knowing that he was the most amazing teacher. Rabbi Jesus, I want to know. And then Jesus, on the Sabbath, went into, began to teach in the synagogue and many heard him, were amazed. Why? Because he taught with one with authority. The other teachers of the day would say, oh, Rabbi so-and-so says this. And Rabbi someone else says that. And because they say this, I might say the other. Not Jesus. He stood in front of the people and he taught with authority. And people listen to that. If you want to know what a real teacher is like, first of all, look at Jesus. And then do you know what he said? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And one of the ways you do that is by teaching. Do you know, there have been times when you think, oh, Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Number five on the list. 
in like that. Teaching has a major place in discipling people. Jesus the teacher. Wonderful, wonderful. You realise we're working backwards here. For good reason. I'm putting off the most controversial to the end. (laughs) The pastor. Pastor is a shepherd. The word pastor... Well, actually, in the Bible, the, the, the word shepherd is it's translated pastor once, and that's in Ephesians 4.11. So the pastor is a shepherd, and a pastor exercises um, oversight of the flock of God. We're the sheep. The pastor is the shepherd. He is the shepherd. pastor feeds, guides, leads cares for and protects the flock. Just think of of the way Jesus talked about ordinary shepherds and what they do. That's what shepherds did. That's what shepherds do. They look after the sheep. So in that way, actually... All elders are pastors, shepherds. But not all elders teach publicly, although all must be able to teach. You can check out those those verses. But that's what a pastor is. A pastor feeds the flock. Perhaps in the way that I'm doing now, perhaps one or one to one, all sorts of ways. That's what a pastor does, a shepherd does. Guides the flocks. No, 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 don't go this way. Go that way. A shepherd leads the flock. You know that in Middle East, in, in Middle Eastern times and in Jesus' time, the shepherd walks ahead of the sheep. Our shepherds do it the other way around, don't they? They have a dog. <laughs> Pastor is not a dog. <laughs> Walks in, but the sh- Jesus said, "The sheep, my sheep, now, and they follow me because the shepherd walks ahead." Oh, the shepherd cares for the sheep, and he protects them from wolves, from animals. In our context, from those who would teach false doctrine, come in and unsettle the sheep in any way but of course Jesus is the shepherd already begun to say that as Peter says you were like sheep gone astray sheep can be silly animals I I have known the times when I've stood at the fence of a field and gone (laughs) And guess what? Sheep have come. (laughs) If you're on holiday, try it sometime. (laughs) All we like sheep, says Isaiah, have gone astray. But in Jesus, we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our very being, our life itself.
we've come to Jesus, the shepherd, who said, I am the good shepherd. You could say, I am the good pastor. You want to know how to look after people? Want to know look how, how to care for the flock? Look at me. Jesus. Because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Pastor. Pastors. Elders. Lay down your life for the sheep. Pretty big deal, isn't it? And Jesus said, my sheep know, listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. And anyone who has a pastoral role must listen to the voice of Jesus, follow him, so that the people, if they follow you, are following Jesus. That's actually what Paul said about himself. So please pray for the leaders and eventual elders of this church that they will hear the voice of Jesus. And in following Jesus, then the church will be able to follow where they go. Wow. The evangelist. Because an evangelist has a distinct ministry. The evangelist brings the good news of Jesus' resurrection and salvation by faith in him. Could say more than that, but that's what an evangelist does. Yep. The evangelist delights in proclaiming the good news that Jesus has died for our sin and that he was buried and that he's risen again and he's alive and he can save, he can forgive, he can heal, he can restore, he can renew. He gives life in all its fullness, life that will last forever. And that Jesus is relevant to everyone's situation and life. Isn't that what an evangelist does? That's what an evangelist wants to do. An evangelist wants to see men and women and young people and children turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. That's what an evangelist wants to do. Yeah, yes. And I believe that if you are an evangelist, you will see people turning to Jesus. Over the years, I've had a number of people come and say, I'm an evangelist, you know. Well, how many people have you led to Jesus? Well, none. Come on. We need evangelists here. We've got some in our midst. We need that to be released. So that men and women become followers of Jesus. But don't forget, we're all called to be witnesses. But some are gifted to be evangelists. And because we're all called to be witnesses, all of us may have the opportunity of leading someone to Jesus. But you're a witness, I'm a witness. Even if you're not an evangelist, you're a witness. You are my witnesses, said Jesus. That's what he said. But we need the evangelists too, to equip us in the gospel.
Jesus was an evangelist, you know. Oh, yes, he was. He was in the synagogue. He came back after the temptation. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. And he went there to the synagogue, as was his custom. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was presented to him, and he unrolled it, and he began to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news, gospel, the evangel, good news to the poor. Mark says Jesus went in, came into Galilee. He went into Galilee, Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The kingdom's coming. You've got to repent. But it's good news. God's kingdom is coming. And Luke says much later on in his ministry, Jesus was in, in the temple preaching the gospel. The good news. All who would aspire to be evangelists can learn from Jesus. And so can we. As we become like Christ, we become those who proclaim the gospel. Move on. The prophet. Someone said a prophet speaks for God. To bring revelation relevant to the present. And sometimes revelation about the future. Both forth-telling and foretelling. So we hear a prophetic word. We hear someone, someone say, this is, this is what we're like now. And... Yeah. We might be able to do that Rubik's Cube. Or one that's been mentioned to me today and, and was given to this, this group of people some time ago. We're like, like a big ocean liner that is being gradually turned around. That's a prophetic word into the present. We need to hear that now word of God. You see, prophecy can confirm the word of God. Prophecy can bring vision and direction. This, this is what I see. This is what God is saying. Prophecy can bring warnings. I remember years and years ago in one of our churches, we had a warning about a boat hitting rough waters. And when it happened, don't get out of the boat. Everybody thought, what's this nonsense about? The church is going wonderfully well. A year later, we hit difficulties. What happened? People got out of the boat. When they were told not to. Give encouragements. And the now word of God can release the power of the Spirit. There must be more than this. You can all prophesy, but not all the prophets. 
God gives that special ministry to, to those who can see things in the Spirit and understand things in the Spirit, bring the now word of God. Yes, that's a ministry. But Paul says you can all prophesy. Everyone, no exception. You can all do it. Just desire it. Jesus, of course, is the prophet. Jesus brought the people the words of God. Jesus prayed, I I gave them the words you gave me, and they, that's the disciples, accepted them. Jesus said, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. That's prophetic. Father said to Jesus, I want you to say this. Jesus said it. That's prophecy. That's essentially what it is. Father speaks to you. I'd like you to say this. You say it. That's prophetic. Jesus not only foretold, but he foretold. And in Mark 13, he, he... he gives some sort of indication of what will happen in the future and how the temple will be destroyed and so on. And he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus the prophet. And the apostle. Apostle just means someone who's sent. A sent person, sent one. It means an ambassador or a delegate. It's one commissioned by another to carry out the other's will and purpose. So in the human terms, it's one person saying, like a boss to employ to an employee, will you please go and do that? And the employee does it on behalf of the boss. Or an ambassador on behalf of the government. So an apostle is sent by God to bring God's word and will into a situation. That's what it is. Now, in the New Testament, there are the 12 apostles. And then, you know, that included Judas Iscariot, who was replaced by Matthias, and then Paul. And they stand in a very special place. But there are about 15 others, and I say about because two are anonymous, and there's one, perhaps a couple that you just talk about, but there are about 15 others in the New Testament that are given the designation apostle. They're not the 12, they're certainly not Paul, but they are apostles, people like Barnabas and Silas, and there are others. So, it seems in the New Testament there, there are the, the, the twelve and Paul and they, they essentially gave us the New Testament with some qualification and then others. And that's, it's the others that I believe we see today. What does an apostle do? Very, very, very briefly. He preaches. He, preaches the gospel and plants churches he lays good foundations in churches and he keeps a check on that doctrinally to make sure things are are good and true and right he becomes like a father to the churches if you think of Paul's relationship to to churches he said I've become a father to you 
He provides ongoing care for the churches. That's certainly what Paul did and others did. Paul and uh, others on his behalf did that. He said, my heart is consumed by care for the churches. Involves churches in wider mission. He went to Rome and said, I want you to help me to get to Spain. Um, that, that's the sort of thing we mean there and he, he encourages giving the poor and he, he makes a big thing of that to the Galatian Christians that's very very briefly what, and what an apostle does so Jesus is an apostle because God sent him sent him he didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him And Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe on the one he has sent. That's what an apostle is. He's one who is sent. So the writer to the Hebrews says, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest, we confess. It's all about you, Jesus. The apostle checks foundations we believe that toby and clive haven't laid foundations here but they've checked the foundations here because over the years good foundations have been laid here but that's what they've done and that's what they continue to do both when they're here and away from us that's an apostolic ministry to us we don't necessarily call them apostles but that's certainly an apostolic ministry to us the prophet brings the now word of god We need to hear that, both through us all prophesying, one at a time, of course, us all prophesying, but through the prophet. The evangelist, we need to pray about the impact that we have on our community because we want to see the the community impacted with the gospel. The pastor, yes, the pastor comes so that we can actually care for each other and have a direction together. And the teacher, we must remain faithful to God's word. You look at that? That's what we want to be as a church, isn't it? Starting at the bottom, going up. We want to be faithful to the word of God. That's the final court of appeal. We want to care for one another in the way that we should. And going the direction God wants us to go. We want to impact our community. We need to hear what God is saying to us now. And we need to make sure that we that not only the foundations are, are correct, but all that we build upon it is good and right and true. That's why we need the ministries. But it's all about Jesus. Let's come back to him. Yeah? He's the head of the body. This church doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, who has the supremacy? Elders? No. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers? No. People? No. Who has the supremacy? Jesus.